Let's talk about coming to terms today. That's a, that's a phrase used often to talk about the fact that we come to terms when we go into an agreement with someone or negotiate something in the way of a contract or an activity. Uh, we say we need to come to terms about this. Sometimes in resolving conflict, we say we need to come to terms about this. I think it's important we understand that God has terms. And for us to really experience that personal relationship with him, he wants us to come to terms with him. Because that's his desire, to have a personal relationship with us. So here's what I know. God initiates a personal relationship, but never negotiates for a personal relationship. He doesn't wheel and deal when it comes to knowing him and experiencing all he can give and all he can do in our lives. So in doing that, I, I want to share basically about three stories with you and two things that I think are very important. The first is this. God begins the conversation for a personal relationship. He begins it with grace, but requires a personal act of belief. It's amazing when God really begins a conversation with you and with me about knowing him and about receiving his forgiveness and his power in our lives and the hope that comes with the uh, offering eternal life. And so he does that. And he begins the conversation because he loves us. But in the process, he asks us to come to his terms. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, he began a conversation to a man who was living in a pagan culture uh, uh, and not really understanding this this concept of one God. He was in a culture that was polytheistic, meaning they believed in many gods. And he had been there, raised there, his family was there. It was a part of his life and culture. And all of a sudden, God begins a conversation with him out of nowhere, just like he does with all of us. He begins a conversation. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. He's now saying to Abraham, or Abram, he's saying, I want you to Make a change. I want you to step out of that which you're used to, that which you are comfortable with, that which is convenient, and I want you to trust me. Pretty big, pretty big uh, expectation. I will make you into a great nation. That's pretty big. I mean, here's one guy who's 75, his wife's 65, and they're kind of like, yeah, right. I'll make you in a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And do you can't imagine Abraham is now wondering, what in the world is cocking this be? How's this going to work out? I'm not sure. It's so different from what I've heard and what I know, and it's so different from what my family believes. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, what does that mean? As you look at that verse, he says, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to start something with you, and it's going to stand until I come back. And here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to bless those that, that honor you and respect you, and I'm going to deal with those differently than those who don't. And we're seeing that happen and play out today, even in the Middle East. 
And I think it's very important today that we understand that principle, but that's a different sermon. And so, um, and how does he bless the whole world? He blesses the whole world through the coming of Messiah, Jesus, who would come from the tribe of Judah. The land, uh, the nation of the 12 tribes of Israel who were descendants of Abraham. So, here's what he said. Now, here's the thing that takes place. God began the conversation. Pretty big conversation. He says, here's, here's what can happen. Here's what needs to happen. Here, but you're going to have to have an act of faith. You're going to have to step out on faith and believe I can do what I said I can do. And here's what's really neat. God began the conversation, but Abraham now believes. He acts on faith. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. Anybody ever tried to do that? That's insane, isn't it? You can't do it. See, I believe what happened. I believe God had one of the clearest skies you could ever imagine. On the, he said, I want you to step out and look at the sky and count the stars, man. And Abraham's looking up and he's going... I can't. It's beyond my comprehension how many stars there are. It's beyond my ability to even fathom how many stars there are. I can't. I lose count. It's too many. I can't keep up with it. It's just overwhelming. Yes. Have you ever tried to count the stars? You quit pretty soon because it can't be done. If indeed you can count them. He said, now, God said, look, count them. Look, but it really is. You can't count them. There's so many. And then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. That's what's going to happen, man. You're going to be this big. What I'm going to do in your life is going to be this huge. What I can do for, for people that are, that are connected with you will be huge. And so look at that verse 6. I love this. Abraham believed the Lord. That's pretty simple. He said, I believe this. Did he have all his questions answered? I'm sure he didn't. I'm thinking, man, how's this going to work? How are we going to finance this journey? Uh, you know, what is it uh, that I, I've been told all my life about? You've got to have a God for fertility and a God for crops and, and a God for war and, and a God for blessing. I mean, all these gods we have to worship, and all of a sudden there's one God that says it can do all of this. It kind of goes against my upbringing. It goes against my understanding. But all of a sudden, he says, I really believe you. And he credited it to him as righteousness. You know what happened? Abraham came to terms with God, on God's terms. He said, I believe. We just sang about that earlier. I, I believe. And he got a credit. Now, a credit's a good thing. Don't you believe? A credit's a good thing. When somebody credits your account, that means you've come to the good, okay? And God said, I'm crediting your personal account with righteousness. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't earn it. But I am going to do it for you because you simply came to terms with me. And we're good. And let the journey begin. And so that's what happened. This is how God works. He says, my terms are this. You've got to come. And believe. That's all I ask. We have terms a lot of times. We have questions about things in the Bible we don't understand. And we have even arguments that we, we want to resolve before we could trust God. And, and we have uh, religious prejudices that maybe we've been taught from various 
denominations or even other types of religions that we go, well, I just, I, I can't reconcile this God with what I believe and what I've been taught. And we go through life thinking, well, God, you got to come to my terms. And the truth is he will never come to your terms because he's God. He doesn't have to. But what he will choose to do is begin a conversation and simply let you know what you can do to come on his terms and enter an amazing relationship with him. We have our ideology. We bring our works to the table. We, we bring our expectations and our formulas. He says, you know, uh, God, here's what I expect, and here's my formula that you have to honor. He goes, no, I, no, no, I don't do formulas. It's an coming to a point of surrender and submission to believe. That's what I do when God's communicating with us. That's his, that's his process. Uh, uh, and and so what we, we kind of come with our list, with our expectations, and with our questions. Why is there evil and suffering in the world? And why does things happen this way? And why does bad things happen to good people and things of that nature? Did he create in seven days, literally, or was it, was it, uh, was it symbolic? Or we wrestled all this stuff. And he simply says, I just want you to believe me. And all this stuff's going to become small when that comes to reality in your life. It doesn't matter that you can explain or comprehend. It simply matters that you believe him. That he will do what he said he would do. And so he comes and begins a conversation with us that I was willing to, I sent my son to die on the cross for you that you may have eternal life, that you may have a new beginning and a power to live a different life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And you simply come to a point of believing him, even with things you can't answer yet or things you don't know how to understand. It starts with an act of belief. This is where it ends, this goes. There was a guy named Naaman in, in, in 2 Kings who was, a, com a commander and a great military guy. He was an enemy of the Jews, and he'd taken a slave girl, uh, and, and, and he had leprosy, which is a bad, bad thing, and she told him that he could be healed if he'd go to the prophet of Israel. And, and he, you know, packed up uh, some great clothes, I mean sharp clothes, sharp, sharp fabric and, and a lot of money, and, and he went, and he, and, he, and, he, and he ended up finally at the prophet's house, and, and the prophet didn't even go out and see him. He sent his messenger. He said, go tell the guy here's what he needs to do. Go, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. You'll be clean. And he was offended because he had expectations. He said, first of all, I thought this is what he would do. I thought he'd come up and make a big deal of me being here. I thought it would be a big deal that I showed up and that I brought all this stuff. And I expected him to come out and kind of wave his hands and say some kind of formula and call on his God and we'd all be good. He tells me to go dip in one of the dirtiest rivers around, and how could that possibly clean me? And I don't get it, and I'm not going to do it. But God's terms were real simple. God's terms were, if you want to be healed from leprosy, you go dip in the Jordan River seven times. It wasn't a negotiation. It wasn't a, well, let's do it a different way. It was God says, hey, it or nothing. And the guy, uh, one of his guys said to him, you know, if, if he would have asked you something really hard, he'd have done it. He just asked you to dip, dip in the Jordan River seven times. It's a real simple thing. And Naaman did it. He was cleansed of his leprosy. A, mir a miraculous thing. God doesn't negotiate his terms. He's God. He didn't have to. 
In his love, he begins a conversation in our heart, in our life. And it ends up where it should be. So the desire to believe in God becomes greater than the barriers not to believe. We have all the answers to the questions. You just kind of answer to real life, and that's in God, in the person of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to get is this. Humility is the way of coming to God on his terms without negotiations. See, we don't quite see it in Abraham's life. It's not as obvious, but it is there, the fact that he finally surrendered to God's will and way and said, I, I can't make this happen, but I'm going to trust you to make it happen. You're asking me to start a new life? I'm going to do that. I don't know that I can do it. I, I can't do it on my own, but I'm going to trust you. And the journey began. And we know the result was he became the father of a great nation. Here's what happens now. Fast forward to the New Testament, and here's what is real important. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that just like us? We kind of get excited about God and begin to grow in our faith. We think, who's really the more spiritual giant? Well, the disciples were doing that. Who's the more spiritual giant? Who's the guy who could be the number two guy or the number one right-hand guy of Jesus? And who's going to be the guy that really makes difference, you know? And they've kind of judged each other and measured each other, and they've kind of checked each other out. And they're kind of saying, well, you know, I think, I think maybe I win. The, I think I win. And another guy says, no, no, I think I might win. And so they're kinda, they've are kind of they had this discussion, and maybe they've talked about each other, Okay. Who's more spiritual? Who do you think? You think Peter? John? I, man, I don't know. Uh, Thomas, Thomas doesn't show much hope. I mean, that's the kind of conversation they had, okay? Don't look at me like, we do that all the time, don't we? Yeah, we do that all the time. We rate people whether they're a 10 or a 9 or an 8 spiritual. We do it. They were doing that. And they were trying to figure who was a 10. And then so finally they said, they said, okay, who, who's going to be the, who, who, is, who is really great? And in verse 2, Jesus called the little children, a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, that means, this is for real, guys, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, change your attitude, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility. He says, humility. There's nothing like the humility of a child. They just make you feel good. A child has such a, a willingness to surrender and believe and trust. They don't bring pride to the table. You know what I found over the years of ministry? The biggest barrier for someone coming to Christ is really pride to finally admit that they need a Savior. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And it doesn't matter if it makes sense to their family or if it, or if it, if it gets the applause of the people at work. That no longer matters. It doesn't matter what the appraisal of others is. It matters that you have come to surrender to the Savior of your life, Jesus Christ. And you finally come to the point of admitting you need him more than anyone else. And you can't make it without him. And you lay aside the pride of being able to work for it a little bit. To bring something to the table. He says, you can't do that. I don't negotiate on those terms. For faith and humility go hand in hand. 
I understand that I must trust a God that's greater than me, and because he's greater than me, I am submissive to him, and I surrender to him, and I receive him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, non-negotiable. And it is this, not from yourselves. You don't bring it to the table. You don't bring something that God admires. That God goes, well, that's really good. I didn't see that coming. No, is that good? No, no. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one can have the least little element of pride that they've done something to have a personal relationship with God. It is not because of our athletic ability, our intellectual ability, or because, not because of the uh, size of our bank account, or because of the public opinion of our lives. Your denomination doesn't even matter in your church life. What matters is you come in a moment of faith believing what God has said about you and about him, what you need and what he can do. You need a Savior. Jesus is the one who can save you, and he wants you to receive that. And then you accept it with, great, with humility and I need you. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. You've done it all, and I need you. I think the biggest wrestling match people have in coming to Christ is the moment of finally saying, I don't care what people think, I'm going to receive Christ. I don't care what will happen to me, I'm going to receive Christ. And it's a moment of humility. It doesn't matter if, if your friends will make fun of you or your family will be dead to you. That happens for some people. Humility says, I need Jesus more than anything else in the world. And it's a moment of coming to terms with God. God wants to get personal. It becomes personal when you want Jesus more than wanting the answers. Last story. And my second church, was a family began to visit our church, and they were a great family. Uh, you know, uh, parents, husband and wife, they're there with a, uh, a young boy, and I got to meet them, and they, they enjoyed the church. And I said, can I come by and visit you? Yeah, come by and visit. And I got to come by and visit them. Uh, to my surprise, they had another son uh, who was a teenager. I, and I, I'd never met him. And I, I said, man, it's good to meet you. I haven't seen you. I haven't seen you at church. And, and his, his dad, and later found out they, they'd adopted him. His dad said, uh, he don't go to church. I said, really? You know, he don't go to church. And can I, may I ask why he doesn't want to go to church? Because he don't believe in God. I said, oh, that's pretty strong. <laughs> he said, he don't believe in God. He said, we adopted him. So we've adopted him. His, his parents tried to kill him twice. And finally, the first time, you know, when he was real young, they thought maybe an accident. The second time, they tried to push him in front of a moving car. He was been abused. And he doesn't understand that God, if there's a God, why did that happen to him? And to his sister. And so, now, all of a sudden, those are pretty big, those are pretty big questions, aren't they? Really? 
he looks at me, and he didn't want to look at me much. He was sitting on the fireplace, and he's looking over at me, and he's kind of like, yeah, I don't believe there's a God. If there was a God, why did that happen to me? A tough question. And I said, well, you know, I said, I, I, can't, I can only tell you this. God hates what happened to you as much as you hate it because it was wrong. It was sin. And because of that horrible thing that happened to you and people could treat you that way, that's why God sent his son down the cross to, to, to save us from sin. And I wanted you to know why you don't believe there's a God. He loves you. And he cares about you. And he hates what happened to you as much as you did. That was not his plan for your life. Well, a few weeks came by. I never, never, never saw Jimmy. Then one Sunday, he showed up at church, sit on the back row. And he came another week. Another week. I stopped by and said, hey, man, I want to thank you for coming. I went to visit with the family again. And, and, uh, uh, and, and they said, we're probably going to join the church, but, you know, Jimmy, uh, well, I understand. I got it, man. Uh, he just, he's, you know, but I said, man, uh, thank you for even coming. He wouldn't say much. A few weeks passed, and I got a phone call from his dad. He said, can you come by the house? Jimmy wants to talk to you. Oh, man, I'd love to. Uh, Jimmy was uh, a young man filled with a lot of anger. Understandable. A lot of anger. <laughs> and what they did to help him learn discipline was teach him karate, and he was very good at karate. And I think somebody made him mad. He got in trouble at school, and he whipped somebody pretty good. And, and so um, he said, Jimmy, I want to talk to you. He said, I'd love to come by. We sit and talk. And, and uh, I said, Jimmy, Tim, what happened? He said, well, I got in trouble today, and I kind of lost my temper. And he said, I'm mad all the time. I understand. And then he said something amazing. He said, I don't know why my life is the way it is. I don't know why God let me go, let this stuff happen to me. I don't know why my parents didn't love me. But I want to trust Jesus to be my Savior. See, guys, we don't have to have all the answers. A lot of those come after the, after the decision. God begins to teach you what's happening in your life. He begins to answer those questions. You just got to believe that God sent his son down on the cross because he loves you and wants to be a part of your life and change your life for your good and his glory and take you to heaven when you die. Man, that's the deal. And those are his terms. And they never change. Ever. Because God is God. He doesn't care about our intellectual wrestling matches or our various denominational traditions. He cares about what I do with his son. And this young man said, I want to receive Jesus. And he became a follower of Christ. We baptized him. And, you know, uh, I thought when I saw the choir today, Jimmy became a part of the youth choir, but he would never sing. That wasn't his thing. But he'd show up and he'd, you know, be a part of it. And uh, he was cool. He, he really, he just would, became my buddy. And I'd, uh, I'd let my, we'd go to the basketball game and my kids were a little bit younger than him, but they'd kind of be walking around with him and, and didn't nobody mess with my kids, man. Didn't nobody mess with them. Man, 
I said, he loved my kids, loved my family, loved me. We became good friends. And I remember the day that he just trusted Christ. Not having the answers. Couldn't explain why. But God had begun a conversation in his life. And he simply asked him to believe him. That he could change his attitude. And Jimmy, with great humility, coming from an attitude of, I don't believe in God. I, even if there was one, I'd hate him. To, I want to receive what he did for me. I want to change my life. He came to terms. Have you ever come to terms with God? 